The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This is Being Bumo, a podcast for the modern parent that wants to be the best version of themselves while being the best parents they can be for their kids. We'll be spotlighting parents and experts who are not only inspiring, but also willing to share with us how it really is. Because as we all know, parenting can be equally as rewarding as it is challenging. We're here to make your life easier, a little less stressful, and help you navigate through this complex thing called parenting. Welcome back to another episode of Being Bumo. You guys are in for a real treat today because today's guest is a very, very close friend of mine. She's actually someone I used to be afraid of because of her incredible presence in the fashion industry. She was named one of the most powerful people in fashion. And if you ever want to have a career in fashion or get in with a designer or into a runway show, this is a woman you need to know. She basically runs the fashion industry. Her name is Rashna Shah. She is a partner and managing director at the most powerful fashion agency, KCD, which has boasted more worldwide runway shows than any other fashion agency. But today, we are not here to talk about fashion or how to get into a fashion show and her fabulous career. We are here to talk about her incredible journey to motherhood. Her story is unique and incredibly inspiring. Rashna is now a mother to two beautiful girls, Risa and Reina. She's always wanted kids, but by the time she was 38 and realized that she didn't have a partner, boyfriend, or lover, or a husband, she decided that she was going to put the matter in her own hands and become a mother anyways. She shares with us her experience on IUI and finding a sperm donor and what it's like to be a single mother by choice. Here's our conversation. Hi, Roshna. Welcome to Being Bumo. Hi, so good to see you. I am so happy that we're doing this because I feel like we could finally kind of catch up because it's been so long since I've last seen you. I know. We usually get our catch-ups in, in person. And so that's been a challenge. In Paris. In Paris. Deeply missing Paris and all the travels that we used to do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. So I am really excited about this conversation because it's a conversation that I've been wanting to have with you personally because I kind of know your backstory, but also something that I find not many people talking about online. And I'm really excited for you to share your experience as a single mother and kind of the thought process of how it all happened. But before we go into that, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your career and kind of who you are? I'm Rachna. I'm 45. I am Indian American, first generation, live in New York City and have for many, many, many years. Grew up in New Jersey. Yeah, I work in fashion public relations. So I lead an agency called KCD that works with a lot of different designer brands, fashion brands, brands that are looking to find the fashion consumer and, you know, lead all of our media relations and digital efforts with them. And it's exciting. And I have been at the same job since I graduated college. Which is insane to hear because you don't hear that anymore. I know. I know. It's a weird, but amazing thing. Luckily it's changed. I've changed. It's grown. We've grown together and I still love it. I feel like that's another story in itself where we have to do another podcast because (laughs) it's kind of about you starting off. Did you start off as an intern there at KCD? Uh, No, as an assistant. 
as, as an, an assistant. assistant. Okay. Yeah. To, and now I'm the partner of the agency. I mean, that is insane. Like that is another story to tell <laughs> and so inspiring. And also for those of you that don't know Roshna and are not in the fashion world, she is one of the most powerful people. She's very, very humble, uh-huh. but most powerful people in fashion, business of fashion has named her that. And quite honestly, I have to tell you a little quick story. I was so scared of you, Roshna. Like you were one of those people that scared the living crap out of me because I was trying to make it into fashion. And she was the one who either lets you in or kicks you out of the fashion shows. And I was just hustling and I was trying to make it in. I'm not going to lie. And you know this, I try to sneak into so many fashion shows (laughs) early on. You know, Roshna has now become a really close friend of mine. So I just had to share that backstory um, because I feel like you and I both have come a long ways. (laughs) Funny, somehow I was always at the door to our events. Like I've said one day, I'm going to write a book called Door Stories about (laughs) all the crazy things that you see. If you're, I'm like, I'm not a bouncer, but I kind of was. It was so weird. It was so weird. (laughs) But no, you're always welcome. You're always welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And I have to say that she's probably seen my hustle from the start. And it's just, it's just so exciting that we're both mothers now. We have Mm -hmm. different kind of, I guess we're both in fashion still, but we definitely have a different perspective now after becoming mothers, which just changes our world as most parents already know. But I want to start off from the very beginning because as you mentioned, you've had this incredible career. You're one of the most respected people in fashion and in luxury, really. And it's been nonstop for you. You hustled since your college years. So at what point did you realize that you actually wanted kids? Because especially living in New York City, in the fashion industry, living this super high-paced fashion business career life, one forgets to think about wanting to start a family at some point. So when was that for you? Yeah, I mean, I have to be honest. It was always there for me. I always wanted to have kids. You know, I have my family background. My parents, you know, had what they call a love marriage in India, not an arranged marriage. They met in college, fell in love, got married, moved to the U.S., had their kids. Both of my sisters married their childhood sweethearts and have oh been married for over 25, 30 years each and have their kids. So I just assumed the same thing would happen to me right? I would meet that guy and I would get married. Of course, I would have a job as well and and find a career. And and then, you know, all of those steps would fall into place. So what ended up happening was that I didn't find that person, but the other parts of my life kept going. And my career became even more and more part of my kind of ambition and and what I wanted to do. And and it was exciting and it was fun. I got to travel and, um, you know, I worked really, really hard, but I didn't mean for it to become the focus. I didn't mind that it did, Mm. but it wasn't necessarily my intention. I was like, okay, where's the rest of this? Like, I thought I was going to get that whole package. I want to kind of understand your thought process. So once you got there and you're like, okay, my life is at a place where I always imagined to be with my career and the rest of my life, but I don't have the partner that I thought I was going to meet at this point Mm -hmm. to have 
the family and the kids that I've always wanted. Were you like, okay, I need to go find the one or were you more like, okay, I need to figure out how I can have a kid on my own? So I would say that I did not want to be one of those obsessed uh, women who all I did was look for a husband so that I could have kids, right? Like I wanted that. I really, really wanted it, but I just didn't want it to take over everything that I did. So I kind of set a little pace for myself and I said, do not panic until you're 35. (laughs) And when you're 35, (laughs) then let's have like another check-in and see what's going on. 35 came and I was like, all right, 35 is not really the age that I have to panic. So uh, things were going really well. I was loving my life. I was like, let's see what's going on. And then at 38, I had that moment. I went on a trip with girlfriends. It was like Cabo, Christmas break, blah, blah, blah. And I came home and I was like, I never need to do this again. Like I, I have no desire to like travel solo with my friends and, you know, just have fun. And I was like, I want a different purpose, you know, and I want to stop thinking about myself. I want to like think about someone else. It wasn't a partner in this case, but I was like, it's time. It's time to figure this out. So Cabo was kind of like your aha moment when you realized that you needed, you needed a change and you wanted, I mean, you've always wanted kids, but to actually take action. And, and realizing that I wasn't meeting that person, that it wasn't going to happen in a quick time frame at that point. And so it's like, what? Let, let's move on to plan B. Let's do this on my own. Okay. So when you went on to plan B and you said, okay, let's do this on my own. At that point, did you already know that you had to find a sperm donor and like all of that? Like, or did you have to do extensive research to figure this out? I mean, I I was aware of the process, but I didn't really know how it worked. So I was really lucky because a friend of mine had a friend who had made this choice and connected us. And I think maybe there were two people that I had a conversation with, you know, then the puzzle came together of like, what are the actual steps of this? But also no one was telling me, "Mm, it's really hard. Like you might want to rethink this. It was the best decision they had made. They were so happy with, with their choice, you know, and they gave me kind of some, an overview of like, what are the steps and what do you have to do? So I felt good about, okay, I'm going to move forward with this. And then obviously I wanted to talk to my family. So that was the next conversation. My sisters, my brothers-in-law, I think I even told one of my nieces and nephews, like everyone was like, absolutely, you should do this. We're here for you. Go for it. Even your parents? Because I know your parents are more traditional Indian, right? Yeah. So then I had the conversation with my parents because I, you know, it is a different conversation. And listen, my parents obviously always wanted me to get married and again, follow that path. But weirdly enough, like they didn't really help make that happen. Like Mm. maybe some other Indian parents would, you know, they would be like, you should meet someone. You should. And I'm like, yeah, why are you going to make someone happen? You know, don't you know people? (laughs) Like call someone for me. I was open to it, you know. So I sat down with them and I just told them, I said, look, I want to have a kid and this is the way to do it. My dad was totally fine. He was like, yes. As if I was asking permission, it was kind of funny. I was like, it's not really your choice, but then he was like, yes, you should do this. I say, yes, you know? And my mom basically was just like, are you sure you're giving up looking? And I said, I'm not giving up looking. I just am doing this first, right? And Were you surprised by their reaction? 
weirdly not, weirdly mm. not. Like they knew, and they were so proud of me. They were proud of my work. And so they knew that I lived independently. I mean, I was 38. Like if I couldn't take care of someone else at that point, like we have a bigger problem. <laughs> um, so they knew that I could do it and be successful. I think it's like, you don't know the details. I mean, you know this before you become a parent, you don't necessarily know what that means for every moment of your life. You figure it out as you go. I'm Arielle Laurie, host of the Blonde Files podcast, where every Wednesday I cover all things wellness. After nearly dying from drugs and alcohol six years ago, I've been on a mission to live my best, most fulfilled life, and I'm sharing everything with you. From how to achieve optimal health, well-being, and fulfillment, to the best beauty tips and even cosmetic procedures, I cover it all with raw, candid conversations with experts and inspirational guests. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. So at any point, so now you told your friends and family and your parents and you made that decision. Was there any going back in your mind? Was there any sort of doubt like, oh, it might be a little challenging or like, oh, do I really want to do this? Did you go back and forth or was it like set for you? I was set in the decision, but I think then the topic became, oh, will I be able to get pregnant? You know, we all spend so many years of our life trying to not get pregnant. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I have to actually like make this happen. So it was a little bit, but it was a project. I mean, that's like how I work, right? So I did my research. I made some calls. I looked into things. The sperm banks are like super helpful. And, you know, someone had suggested like, listen, you have two paths. You can go with kind of a small local place where you could actually go in and speak to the women who have spoken to the donors you know, and get a real sense of who they are. Yeah. But that's limiting in some ways. And also yeah. like they live in your neighborhood, probably it's weird. <laughs> or you could go to a large organization like a California cryobank that has, you know, just a, it's they're very experienced in what they're doing. Yeah. So I met with my gynecologist and I asked her about the process. She had gone through it with a, a patient or two. She did some tests and said, you know, you don't need a specialist necessarily. Like, let's just try this without going through a full like IVF route. So I started with her conversation and then starting the search with the sperm bank. Okay. I want to know about this because I feel like no one talks about this because when you are looking for the sperm donor, you're essentially kind of dating around, right? You're kind of like having to figure out who you want to be your baby daddy, essentially. So what do you look for? It's online dating, Mm -hmm. but with a baby photo, which is really weird. You know, you're looking at, they usually all have like a baby photo or childhood photos. You don't really know what they look like, but you get some sort of sense. So weirdly enough, you know, that's still the first thing you see is that picture. So is it physical qualities that you look at first? Do you look into health? Do you look like what, what do you look into? So here was the thing. I had never dated anyone Indian, weirdly enough. So I had kind of made the decision, like, I'm going to look for a person who would look like who I would have dated, 
right? It's just kind of like, if I had met someone, what would they probably look like? So I, I kind of, I pick someone tall because like, you know, if it's a guy, you just, you want. so there's certain things that I was like, okay, let's just try to make like the best kid ever. But health was definitely number one. Like if someone had it in their family history that their grandparent or parent had Alzheimer's, like I, I didn't select that. So I definitely, health and family history, I mean, I'm sure like the donors was better than mine, to be honest, right? I was like, this person has an amazing family. And then, yeah, the picture did something for me of like, you know, whether it was like, oh, blonde hair mixed with my hair or skin tone with my skin tone, like, what would that look like? And, but then ultimately, you know, they do these like essays or questions, they answer things. And so it kind of, you feel a little, not a spark, but like a little connection, maybe, you know, the donor I selected, like worked in finance, but had this interest in art and music, drew this picture and I was, I'm like, so not artsy at all. (laughs) I didn't know that they go that extensively. That's really awesome. And there's a voice interview a recorded conversation between like someone at the clinic and the donor. So you can hear their voice. Huh. I mean, does that matter if you can hear their voice or not? It's good. It gives you a sense of who they are, you know, of how they speak or are they annoying? So in that sense, it's like online dating because, you know, you're making some judgments about these things, but I basically like had a little list of, you know, okay, these look good. These look good. Narrowed it down. And it's funny. I showed my sister and she was like, I mean, either of these are fine. Like, it's fine. I don't know. I can't pick. And so I picked one and basically you kind of go through the process of like, how much sperm do you order? And, you know, do you want it to be like, you're the only person ordering from this Mm. person, which I did not bother doing or probably half siblings running around. I don't want to know. And the other part is open or not open. And what that means in this case is that when the child is 18, mm-hmm. the child could reach out to the person uh, if they wanted to. I kind of wasn't into that, but I was like, I don't know if it matters. And in the end, the person that I ended up using was open, but we'll see. It, it doesn't go the other way. It's just from the child to the donor. Got it. Okay. Those are really interesting things I I never even thought of, but yeah, it totally makes sense. It's called IUI, right? Yes. So I ended up doing IUI. So basically things seem to be working okay, you know, in my body. They did some testing to see, you know, how many eggs I had. A lot of people do that blood test to check on their egg productivity. So basically you start with an IUI. So you go to, in this case, I went to a lab and, you know, you're timing your ovulation just like a lot of people do. Then they'll even like inject you so that they know exactly when the egg is going to come out. I can't remember the term. And so then they inject the sperm. So, you know, it's weird. I was like, okay, so if I think about it, like this baby was conceived like on a lab table (laughs) in a room by myself. I tried three times and it didn't take. Oh, three times and it didn't take. So then I had to actually go order more sperm because I'd only bought three vials. You know, I didn't know. So I was a little superstitious and I decided to switch to a different donor. It was my set, like my backup person. Oh, I see. And I said, you know what? Let me just try the other one. I don't know. Oh, so you pick a backup person too, just in case. I did. I did. You know, in my mind, I had narrowed it down to two and I went with one and then I was like, I just picked the other one. You know, we tried IUI again. Actually, I guess that was the third time. This two, twice it didn't work. And then the third time it did. And the, 
And that was the one time you tried it one time with the backup and it worked. That's so interesting. So not all sperm are created equal. Exactly. (laughs) And especially in this case, because, you know, IUI is not, your eggs are inside your body. It's kind of like shooting it up there and hoping they meet, but it's not as specific as like an IVF procedure where, you know, you're putting the sperm right next to the egg. Got it. So it's kind of like shoot it up and see what sticks basically. Yeah. And I had chosen to only, like, I didn't take any medicine to get more eggs because I did not think as a single mother, I could deal with multiples. There's, I've heard a lot of stories about um, people going through IVF, getting multiples. So uh, that was one thing. So it might've made it take longer, but I was like, that's what I need to do right now. And in the end, I mean, it was three tries. It was, and it's crazy. You know, you're, you can take your pregnancy test like 12 days after the procedure. Like, you know, the, the moment of conception, if it happened. I need to know this process. Like once you had backup actually come through and then you uh, shot up the sperm and then it was just a waiting game. Did you know before or were you like, I have a feeling this is going to happen? No, I had no idea. Okay. No idea. It's just like so early. <laughs> once you found out you're pregnant, what was that like? It was crazy. I couldn't believe that it actually had worked. You know, I bought a pregnancy test. I did it at home in the morning for that like first pee. And then I just, I called my sisters and my parents and, you know, I I was like cute about it, which normally you would probably do like a little bit later than this point. But, you know, just telling them that they were going to be grandparents and aunts and uncles and... You know, and I call my best friend, uh, two of my best friends, but I actually had not told any of my other friends that I was even trying. I had this thing in my head where I did not want to be the, the single girl who was trying to get pregnant for like two years. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't want that to be the basis of every conversation. I didn't, I don't know. I was just like, I, don't, I have no idea how long this is going to take. And I just don't want every time I see everyone I know to be talking about it, right? I had spent like how many years talking about meeting someone that way? I was just kind of like, this is my thing. I literally told my family, one cousin and two best friends. So that I waited until, you know, I was like 12 weeks and had done the testing and that everything was okay. And then I took, so can you imagine the shock? They didn't even know I was trying. So you were doing this all secretly kind of behind closed doors. And so when you told people, were they just stunned? Super happy, but that, stunned. That must have been fun. <laughs> I love seeing was, people's reaction. Was. Yeah, I definitely had to like, I'm like, I can't go out with anyone because I can't like not drink. And, uh, you know, I yeah. definitely had to do that. But no, people were super happy and supportive. It was great. That's incredible. And so how was the pregnancy? Did you have a normal pregnancy? Was it hard being pregnant? Did you have nausea? Like, I would love to hear about your experience with being pregnant. Sure. I mean, I guess I would say I had a normal pregnancy. I did have morning sickness and not in the morning. I was just nauseous all day, probably until about 12 weeks. And then all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're like, oh, I don't need a ginger candy. Like weird. But I actually, pregnancy was great. I got really skinny very odd. Like meaning in my, like my face thinned out, like just things thinned out in me. Maybe I was just being healthier. So that was why, you know, I carried well, I felt good, normal things, right? Your sleep gets a little upset and, but I felt really like good. It was like nice to wear tight clothes. I was like, oh, I can show off my my belly. belly. (laughs) (laughs) And it was fun. It was fun. And, and it was, you know, 
an interesting experience going through it. You know, I had some moments where I was like, oh, I don't have a wedding ring on. Like, I don't know. There were some moments where I was like, I wonder what people think. Or seeing people who wouldn't have known the story who knew that I wasn't married or never heard that I got married, right? So they like kind of assumed, they thought maybe something happened in between since the last time we all saw each other, you know? And so there was a lot of like, I'm single. Like I'm, no, I'm having the baby on my own. I'm doing this on my own. That also brings up a really good point because you're single by choice. And I think there's a term you you mentioned earlier about like single mom by choice, right? Exactly. Single mom by choice. And and this is not meant to be a negative towards those where it's not a choice, but there is a distinction, right? Between actually choosing to go through this process on your own and, and have and raise your child versus, you know, unfortunate circumstances where a marriage doesn't work out or someone leaves or something happens or a tragedy, you know, there are single moms who are, have been put in that situation or later made the choice to be in that situation, but there's still maybe a father involved or who exists. Um, where in my case, it is. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I would imagine because you don't have anything to really compare it to, right? Because it's not like you were in a relationship and you were pregnant. You've had a pregnancy with a partner before. This is like literally your first experience. Because for me, when I talked to you, I was like, oh, is it hard? And I I would assume that a lot of other mothers would be like, oh, is it hard doing this alone? But you're just like, I don't have anything to compare it to, right? So how is that? And how do you answer that question to people? Yeah, I mean, I don't know better. I think motherhood is hard. Parenthood is hard. Uh, there's no question in my mind, especially after this year, that like that is the answer. But uh, yeah, I didn't have a comparison. So I luckily did not, you know, even from pregnancy stage, like I, I didn't have that feeling of I'm missing something or I'm missing someone who could be doing things with me. My sister was my birth coach. She did the Lamaze classes with me. I had a very kumbaya delivery with literally my mom and both my sisters in the delivery room with me. They were blown away because they've done it, but they've never seen it. You know what I mean? But they, it ends up, because everyone was at the hospital, like literally my whole family ended up coming. It was like during the day when I, I you know, I went to labor in the morning. And so everyone showed up and then what was I going to do? Like kick everyone else out and just keep my one sister. I was like, I mean, you're all here. Like, come on in. It was crazy. I was like, you have <laughs> yeah, you had an everything. audience. <laughs> a full audience. Um, but it was neat, all women. And then I had a baby girl. So it was like also a little emotional, you know, to be together because we're three sisters and, you know, then I had my daughter. But that's the beautiful thing about motherhood and parenthood, right? It's like, yes, you might not have a partner, you might not have a husband (laughs) or even a boyfriend, right? But look at this community, right? Look at your family that knows that they want to give you that support, right? And I think that's the beauty in parenthood is that like you and I, like, I think it was once we had the kids, that's when we're like, okay, we have a lot more in common than not, right? Obviously we're both in fashion and like we had interest in there, but like, I think it's really 
the motherhood that connected us. And I think that's the beautiful thing about becoming a parent, right? You know, I mean, I'm so grateful. I don't think I would have been able to make this choice as easily if I didn't have the kind of family support that I have. You know, my sisters are older, like six years and another six years. So like one of them, her kids were out of the house already. You know, she, she was free to like really help. She came and lived with me for a month when Risa was first born. And the other one who lives closer and is more nearby, like same, you know, they were teenagers. They could really be involved. They knew, okay, I got to go. I have to travel for work. Someone is going to maybe come and watch them or the girls will go stay there for a little bit. Like everyone knew they were going to be involved and they were happy mm. to be. If I didn't have that, and then also the network of mommy friends, it would have been a really tough situation. You have to, you have to talk about what's going on. It is mind blowing, you know, physically, mentally, especially that first year, you, you can't ever, I don't think that I've met anyone who's like, it's exactly what I expected. And I was prepared. So how was postpartum then? Was it everything that you expected, as we mentioned, or was it kind of you had to have more support than you actually thought? And how was that transition going back to work? Because for those of you that are listening, if you guys don't know Roshna's kind of schedule, she runs like pretty much all of the top fashion luxury houses. I know they're incredible clients, I'm sure, but they have to run a business and she has to be there for them. So, And she is a partner at her, at her firm. So how was that like? the transition. So I was fortunate that Lisa ended up being born in June. (laughs) So it was like summer, you know what I mean? It wasn't like peak time in that sense. Uh, And the plan was still though, that I would miss the first season, like, you know, September-ish, I would still miss. But luckily they had the whole summer to prepare and you know, we had set up a system of what would happen. And it's almost like since I wasn't in it at all, you just have to make it happen. And they were amazing. They literally did not, no one bothered me. No one called me about work. You know, they wanted to talk about the baby, but like no one made me do something. It was the most incredible time. Because I mean, I think people, even if you don't have kids, you should figure out a way to take us battle. Like it is game changer. Postpartum, was great for me. Of course, I was exhausted. Breastfeeding was really hard, but I did it. I can't believe I did it, but I needed people around me. I was afraid. I have to be honest. Like I remember the first night when no one else was staying here and it was just Uh, me and Risa. And like, it's scary. It's scary. You know, one day I was so exhausted. My sister was here at that point, but I was so exhausted that she had to come wake me up. Risa had, who was in the crib right next to me, had like pooped all over the place, was crying incessantly. I didn't wake up. So she had gotten her. I was exhausted. She had gotten her, she had, but I had to feed her. And so she's like, okay, you have to wait. And I was like, I missed that. Like I was literally right next to her. So I, there was a little bit of fear. And there's still things to this day, like, you know, I would never take something to help me sleep because I'm just like nervous that like, suppose I was sleeping and they couldn't get, you know, I mean, it is nice to live in an apartment building and I have friends in the building. So like, if I ever needed something, it literally, someone could be right here, but that doesn't overtake my life. So, but those are things in the back of my mind. That actually is a great point because that is something that I guess as a single mom, especially in the early ages, right? Or early days of a newborn, most partners are able to be like, you take this one or I take this one, you know, because you're just 
so exhausted, especially the mother, but that is something that you probably didn't have. And obviously having your sister close by was helpful in a sense where if you kind of needed that support, she would be there, right? Definitely. I had my mom for two weeks and then my sister for a couple of weeks. And, you know, at least being fed and having company was really nice. Like, you know, the, I mean, the beginning is really hard, but at the same time they sleep a lot. So like we were watching TV at night, you know, and entertaining ourselves like quietly in the, in the apartment. And so, yeah, doing that on my own, you know, and then slowly more and more things became my responsibility. Right. So just how do you get somewhere? I'll give you an example. One of the hardest things about being a single parent is getting in a car to go somewhere. I mean, in New York York City, City. a single parent in New York City. So I have a car. (laughs) I park in the basement of a building. I did decide to get a car because I have family very nearby. I go all the time. So I need that. I have a car. I have to bring the child or children now and all of the stuff in one trip to the car and pack everything up and get everyone in and same thing. Like, God forbid, I go to like Costco and my mom, I can't unload the vehicle and the kid. Now it's easier. They walk, they, they can take care of themselves. But those are real problems <laughs> as a single parent, like getting places and carrying things and humans and all the stuff they need when they're a baby. That was my biggest thing. I mean, I still remember that time and I love you for this so much. And I appreciate you so much. The one time during New York Fashion Week, I was at the Peninsula Hotel and you literally brought both girls with you. How old were they? The littles were maybe like four months. And I was like, my goodness, you literally trucked your way through the city to just visit me with your little ones just to see me. I remember feeling so grateful because it's not, I forget how oftentimes I take my car and my house here in Los Angeles for granted because it's so easy, right? Compared to like being able to visit someone in the city. And I'm just like, wow, this this woman is super woman. Like, I don't know how she's doing this right now. I'm freaking out with like my little four month old in this hotel. And, you know, Rashna is here just like schlepping her kids through the city to come visit me. I'm such a brat. Well, listen, I've had plenty of times where I've thought like, maybe I should have started this process when I was younger because physically the act of like folding up a stroller and getting it in a taxi or an Uber, like forget it. It's crazy. So you obviously have a second now. So I want to go there because at what point were you like, I need to have a sibling. Yeah. So I had not, I I did not imagine that that would happen in this way. And then Mm -hmm. Risa was one and it was like, we were good. Like we had a good system. She and I, it was, she she was a really easy baby. And that's when I was like, I mean, I had siblings. I want her to have a sibling, but I didn't even know, you know, I had never prepared for that. Like some people buy extra sperm and save it. Or like, I was like, what's this process here? So I actually called the sperm bank and asked if that donor, like, was, was there any more specimen from him? And they said, no, but since I had had a child using that specimen, they could contact him and see if he would donate more. And I was like, really? I mean, that's a little bit weird, but yeah, it would be nice if like biologically they were the same. I just hadn't thought about it because I really didn't go into it thinking I would have more than one in this way. You know, I was like, maybe I would start dating again, whatever. That wasn't 
in the cards at that point. So anyway, it worked out that yes, he did. And he was willing to go through the process of getting tested and, you know, checked out and everything again and do it in a timely manner. Cause I was like, this guy's going to like, you know, take a long time to do this, commit to this, Mm. then, you know, I don't want to really wait too long because there is, you have to kind of hold the specimen for a certain amount of time and test it. Like it's a very thorough procedure that they do. So yeah, we went into the process. And so I think I remember it was September that I got the call. I was at a show and I got the call (laughs) that he responded that he would do this. And then basically I got this firm in May. So, you know, it took some time. And at that point, because I was older, I was 42, 41, maybe when I started trying, I was 41. I decided to use a specialist, you know, go to a fertility specialist. And basically I said, look, I have six vials of specimen. Let's make this happen. And you know, this was definitely like, you don't really have as many eggs and this is going to be harder. And But the doctor said, let's try IUI because it worked for you before. And then we'll switch if we need to, to IVF. So I actually did five rounds of IUI that did not work. I did five. And, and this time I was still not taking any hormones. You know, I didn't do anything like that at that point. So he said, okay, listen, we have three more chances. Let's switch. Let's do IVF, give you the hormones, you know, potentially get more eggs in the mix, et cetera. So I went through the whole, like giving myself shots and being on the hormones and, you know, prepping, which was a weird thing to like, sitting there like shooting myself up. But I did Uh that. And then when they went to look, I only had two viable eggs. And I was like, really? After all this, there were only two in there? So he said, you know what? We should just do an IUI because it's kind of a waste to go through the full process if you only have two eggs. If it doesn't work, the next month we'll give you like more hormones and hopefully something will happen. So I was like, all right, okay. But I had kind of decided at that point, like these eight tries were it because that was like eight months of thinking about this and being in this space and not like, I was like, you know what? If I don't get pregnant, Lisa and I are going on vacation and we're going to do something really fun. Like she's so independent now. She was, you know, two and a half. Like we could really enjoy. And I was like, let's just go for it. That's enough then. I tried, you know? And of course that time it worked. So it was IUI technically, even though I kind of prepped for IVF, but it, it did. Gosh, I didn't know that you went through all of that for your second. I mean, it wasn't traumatic per se, right? I mean, if you were a couple and you tried for six months, you wouldn't be like panicking about it. It's just so technical because of the way that I have to do it. With the second, because you kind of went through the IVF previous, was the pregnancy different? Like because you had hormones and all of that, or was it pretty much the same? You know, I never found out the sex of either of my kids. So I never knew until they were born. And I will say like the pregnancy was almost exactly the same. So in my mind, I was like, I must be having a girl again because all my, you know, all my cravings, like everything was the same. Um, It was harder physically because I had a toddler. How was that like um, from being pregnant, single to now being pregnant with a toddler? As we all know, toddlers are very demanding And obviously you still don't have a partner at this point. So you're doing everything on your own with obviously the support of your your sister. But was that different? Was that experience different than the first time? Yeah, it was different. But the benefit was I had a nanny. 
who is amazing. And, you know, I had got her when I went back to work with Risa. Um, so honestly, she was an extension and still is of my day to day, right? That's who helps me get through what I'm doing. And I knew that Risa was like fully taken care of. So, and even in things of like, if I had to travel, like my nanny could stay with her even sometimes. So it, it was a really good system that we still have, but it was definitely a little bit more like, it was more tiring and it was more nerve wracking, uh, right? Like a little bit of like, again, okay, I know I'm doing this, but how am I doing this? You know, and just, you have to be okay with getting help and asking for help. That was a big thing for my personality. I'm like someone who's like, I can do it, you know, with work, I'll get stuff done. Yeah, I delegate. I like to tell people what to do, but I'm not telling people what to do if I'm asking them for help. And so it's a really big learning for me to, you know, a couple of friends, we went on vacation together or we got a house together. I had to be okay with like asking their husband to go set up, you know, the pool float and do the thing for me because I was 30 weeks pregnant and I can't do two things at the same time. You have to be okay with asking for help. Well, once you had your second, did you go back to work immediately? So I I took a maternity leave and unfortunately for a couple of different reasons, it was not as clean of a break. There was, you know, someone on my team who left that was a VP. It was a very important role that like I had to jump in and do something. We had a big event that I planned. Like I'll go in for a little bit to help support. There was like more difficulties with that than I thought there would be. So it got cut off in a way that I wasn't expecting. So I actually took a couple of weeks like after the fact where I was like, I need a moment here to like remember just the joy of like sitting with the newborn and not talking to anyone and watching friends or whatever on TV. You know, I had to, I was like, I owe myself like to take that again. So it was more challenging. I was in a different role. It was, it was harder. I still found time with Raina, who was my second, while like Risa was at camp or Risa had started school or, you know, so I tried to find like those same simple bonding moments, even with two. But again, it's two is not just twice. Two is like quadruple. That is what everyone says. And they said that the third is way easier. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if that's actually true, but that's what everyone has told me. They're like, two is like having quadruple and three is just like a math addition, like just one extra. I'm like, oh, okay. But Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not having a third, but- I'm not either, by the way. (laughs) I would assume as, as since I am a third, I would say that that's because you just don't bother. You just take them with you. You do what, you know what I mean? You don't like try to make everything- I would love to hear kind of your thoughts on the pros on being a single mom. And if there, if you have any, I mean, I'm assuming that you have a lot of friends that are married and that have partners and like the difference in lifestyle between you and your friends. Have you seen the differences? Yeah, there's definitely differences. And, and listen, by all means, I would love some more support in my day-to-day life. I would love more support with the kids. I would love for them to get attention from more than just me. So there's tons of pros. I mean, there's a reason that they're usually two parents in the equation. But I will say the real pro for me is that like I get to decide everything. I don't have to ask anyone else's opinion. I don't have to think about what they're doing or their schedule or like, oh, what do you, what do you think? Like I have two friends. I love them dearly, but like 
literally there'll be a 20 minute conversation about whether they should get the child up from his nap or not. And I was like, the amount of time that you are wasting in this conversation, like either do it or don't do it. So it, it suits my personality in a lot of ways that like, it's not that I don't ask advice, but like- The buck stops at Roshna. <laughs> if I want to- say we're leaving right now, we're leaving. Like, that's it. I don't have to ask anyone else's opinion. So it's actually like the one thing, and my friends actually laugh with me about it too, or they're like, yeah, that's true. Makes your life a lot easier. You don't have to argue with anyone about it. I mean, I... I'm a little jealous, I have to say. I mean, it's not even just time wasted, it's energy, right? Yes. Like that you invest into and yeah, having a partner obviously has major benefits, but also you have to know the art of negotiating and also the art (laughs) of sometimes not getting that you want and be okay with it and be at peace with it. Something that I'm learning along the way through my marriage. And, you know, also another point is, Usually when two parents are around, their upbringings are very different, right? And their views are very different. And just figuring out what is the better way to like, I I sit here sometimes and I go into this dark rabbit hole of, oh my gosh, if Alan continues to do these type of things with the kids in like 10 years, they're going to end up going to jail and then I'm going to have to bail them out. And then I, I like, I just go into this dark rabbit hole, which is so stupid. I should not waste my energy in that way, but that that's what happens. Right. And definitely see the benefits of that as well. What inspires me the most about you is that you made it on your terms and you're like, you know what? I'm not going to wait for a man. I'm not going to wait for someone to make me a mom. Like this is something that I was made for and I'm going to create it myself because, you know, I don't know if it's going to ever happen. Right. And so I I knew that I would have a lot of regret if I did not have children, you know what I mean? So, or a child. And so it was like, I have to figure this out. I have to, but you know, it's not work-life balance is, uh, I don't even know what that means. You know what I mean? It's a really like mind blowing situation, but it's like, you just go, if I really sat there and thought like, am I doing everything right? I mean, especially again, in this past year, you can't put that pressure on yourself. And I also think I've learned, you know, just as I've learned how to ask for help, I've learned to be very transparent about what I have on my plate. You know what I mean? Like I can't pretend that I can do everything, you know, so especially now, but even when I was going to the office in person, like if I have to go and do something or if I can't get something done because my kid didn't sleep or you know, like that's just the way it is. And I'm not going to feel guilty about it. And I'm not going to pretend as if like there's some other reason, you know what I mean? Like, I, no, I just, I didn't get to it because I didn't sleep well last night. Which also makes you human and shows you in a leadership position that it's okay, right? It's okay if you have bad days, bad moments that you have to show people grace, especially parents, right? But just know and trust that it will get done eventually. It might not be on the timeline that you initially wanted it to be. So I think a lot of people in the workspace and totally different conversation is also realizing that they need to support more working parents for this reason, especially after this pandemic. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, listen, I didn't have that full perspective when I started in my career and in the industry. And I'm grateful to be in a place where A, I can affect change, but also where like I can feel safe 
saying that I have to take off tomorrow to do this with my kids, or I'm going to be late, or I'm going to have my video off for this meeting, or my kid is going to interrupt me 15 times, whatever that case is, like I'm very fortunate, but it is extremely clear that the world is certainly not set up for working mothers, working parents, but working mothers, especially, and then single working mothers. Like it's, we need a boomo work in New York. hundred (laughs) percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're coming towards the end of this session. I I mean, I could sit here and talk to you for like the whole day. But if you had one advice for maybe parents or parents or people that want to become parents and are in similar situations like you, what is that one advice you could give them? I think it's really, you know, being open to, you know, don't set expectations of yourself or the situation. You don't know what kind of child you're going to have. You don't know what your, how your circumstances may change or what people's reactions are going to be. So really just like enjoying the moment, like do it because you want to, you know, and that it's a ride. It's an adventure. It's all part of, you know, the bigger thing, because I think if you get stuck in, what it could have looked like or should have looked like, you're missing the fun. And what is your one being Bumo moment? Being Bumo literally translates to being a parent moment. So do you have like a favorite parenting moment that you could share with us to end this? I think for me, honestly, it is hearing a child call me mom. It's, you know what I mean? It's that sound of like being needed and putting someone's needs in front of yours. So like literally every morning... (laughs) When, you know, two people are like, mom, mommy, mom, mom, can I get the, you know, and they're like ready. They're ready for you. Like they can't get enough of you. Drives me crazy. And this year, especially it has driven me crazy. You know, I'm always like, someone wants to go back up inside my womb. It feels like, but that being needed and loved completely, it's just, that's everything. It's everything. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's a good, good reminder that even though we get annoyed of our kids, that it is absolutely a blessing that they are able to call us mom or dad. So thank you so much, Roshna. Thank you. I'm inspired by your story. And I know so many parents, especially women, are going to be inspired to move forward with kind of their future and their lives as parents because of your story. So So thank you for taking your afternoon to share your story with us. Thanks for talking. I loved it. 